So, so many people live their entire lives asleep. And no, they don't close their eyes, sleepwalking around, but they, but they live their entire lives asleep because they're clueless about what is truly going on around them. They, they don't see God working in the world. They don't see the spiritual warfare going around them. They just live moment by moment with nearsighted vision, only seeing what is right in front of them. If anybody here is nearsighted, you know you can see what is near. But I know for me, when my contacts are out, I don't see very far very well. So I can only see what is, what is up close. And so many people walk around like that. Um, today we're going to come uh, and we're going to see Christ come and call his first disciples in the midst of their own nearsightedness. As we'll see later in this sermon, these disciples have actually met Christ before. And, and they've been in, introduced to how great that he is, but after some time, they've kind of went back into their mundane fishing life. They're, 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 they're back doing their same old, same old, uh, but they're about to see Christ move in a mighty way. And in light of today's scripture, people everywhere need to be ready for Christ to move in their own lives and prepared to respond to that moving. So join me as we read our scripture for today, Luke 5, 1 through 11. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into the one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners and the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord." For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, the son of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that we get to study it. Uh, Lord, this has been such a joy to to, to go to work through Luke. This is our, our 14th week uh, going through the Gospel of Luke, and we're entering chapter 5, and we're, we're getting to the public ministry of Jesus, as we've mentioned before, and we're going to see him call his first disciples to, to full-time uh, discipleship, following him. Lord, open up our hearts and minds to see the call of Christ on our own lives. Um, some of us here haven't actually been saved, and so we're not going to get any other charges from Christ, but until we, until we uh, respond to his drawing. And I pray that he is, that, that you are drawing souls to yourself today. If anyone here does not know you as their Lord and Savior, I pray that you reveal salvation to them, that you draw them to yourself and that they respond humbly. Uh, Lord, for those of us who are believers, may this be a time of going all in. May this be a time of us learning more about what it's like to follow you completely. Lord, we, we love you, we praise you, and thank you, and be with our service today. Amen. Today we're going to discuss three ways that we need to be ready for Christ to move. And the first is you need to be ready for Christ to come. 
to be ready for Christ to come. I'm going to reread verse 1. Uh, on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. So the crowd is pressing in on Christ. They're listening to every single word. And we see here, because he's speaking the word of God, he is God made flesh. So the words he is speaking, I mean, it's amazing. Like we read the word of God. They, they heard God preaching the word. Can you imagine how, how amazing that was. We've already seen Luke allude to the fact that his teaching carried authority, and we saw Mark in Mark 1.22 say, it was mentioned last week, and they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And they were used to the religious leaders teaching their own ideas, but Jesus' words came with authority, the authority of God. If you see this next map here, we're going to see that Jesus has moved from Capernaum to Gennesaret. The lake of Gennesaret was actually a, a shore on the Sea of Galilee. It wasn't kind of a, a lake as we think of a lake. It was just called that, but it was really a shoreline. And you can see it's actually not too far as you see the, the, the mileage down here, only a few miles uh, south, I guess we're looking at southwest of Capernaum. Uh, if you remember, that we, we ended our last account that Jesus saying he had to go out and he needed to preach the gospel to to, to everyone, to kind of move out in that area, everyone in that area. So it, it must also be noted that, that Jesus has done what before this? We saw that Jesus preached in where? Synagogues. So he was known to preach in synagogues, but this is the first account we have in this gospel of him open-air preaching. Now he's just out, he's, 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 he's out just preaching on the shoreline, and eventually we're going to see him preaching in a boat uh, on the shoreline. So let's go ahead and move into verses 2 and 3. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. So Je Jesus sees this crowd, and we, we see those words pressing in on him. They're, they're getting closer and closer. They hear the words of God, and they just want to hear more, and they want to hear more. And can you imagine Jesus? He's on the shoreline. He's scooting back. He's like, the water's right there. I mean, he's, he's going to be put in the water for, for a, in a little while with all these people pressing in. And so Jesus sees the boats. Obviously, he sovereignly knew all this was going to happen anyway. And he sees these boats by the lake with the men washing their nets. And he asks them, to put out. And first we need to see the humility of these men who had been fishing all night. Uh, so, so they've got to be exhausted. They've got to be tired. But they, but they respond to Christ with humility when he comes. And Simon Peter and his other crew me members are, are cleaning their, their, their drag nets, which were, were usually what, what they used for fishing at that point. And they would fish at night because the fish would come in to swim or come in to feed at the night and they would drag the bottom and get as many fish as they could. And these drag nets were full of, uh, likely full of plant material and rocks and dirt, and they would be disgusting. And these men are, are working hard to try to clean that out. And these men also had had no, look, no luck fishing, as we read at the, at earlier, and we're going to see it here in a little while. But they obviously know that Jesus is something special, because most people, if somebody comes and asks that kind of a question, you've been working all night, you're exhausted, you're so tired, and they say, hey, why don't you, let's go back. Let's, let's go to this again. And most people are like, I'm going to go home and take a nap. I'm done. I've had a horrible night. I want to sleep. I want to act like this night didn't happen. I've worked all night. hadn't got anything. But they don't understand just how special he is, but they understand something is going on. So they resist that fleshly attitude of a bad, or, or a fleshly bad attitude for the rough night fishing, and they actually obey and put the boat out. As we already mentioned, the boat that Jesus goes into is who? Simon. Simon Peters. So we're going to see God sovereignly working to teach Simon a lesson about the Son of God and who he truly is. 
So Peter knew Christ and encountered him before, as we see in John's Gospel, John 1, 41 through 42, during Jesus' private ministry, as we mentioned before. It says he first found his brother, he being Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, found his brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. So we see that Andrew led Peter to Jesus before, and, and they, he, he made a big claim. This is the Christ. And so you just wonder how Peter and Andrew went from this is the Christ to fishing again, kind of back at that. Uh, obviously, Jesus hadn't launched his public ministry, so they kind of went back and obviously probably heard him preach every once in a while in the synagogue, you know, still had some communication there, but they weren't full-time disciples. They weren't following him all the time. We see that Paul, Peter's obviously went back to his work at this point, but today would change life, Peter's life forever because today Jesus was coming in a mighty way. So let's keep moving forward here. If we go back to, to verse 3 that we mentioned already, Jesus asked Simon to push them out a bit from land. And that way it'd give him some, some, some ways so he didn't end up swimming <laughs> while he was preaching. It also gave him some better acoustics when you're kind of preaching from that side. And can you imagine that Christ is standing and eventually sitting in the boat as he teaches? Uh, as we talked about, like that was kind of a, a Jewish rabbi way of doing it. They would end up, they would stand for reading the word and then they would sit and kind of have a more conversational uh, teaching. And people are hanging on his words. And then we leave off in verse 3. With this imagery, this imagery of, of Jesus preaching here, I love the late Bible teacher, J. Vernon McGee. He was hilarious in some of his stuff. And what I love what he said here, he said, Every pulpit is a fishing boat, a place to give out the word of God and attempt to catch fish. And this is how Christ is using the boat right now. He's not using an actual fishing boat. He's using it as a people fishing boat. He is putting the word of God out so that they may come to a saving knowledge of, of him. And I pray that our pul pulpit here is always used as a fishing boat, to, as a, fish, a fishing place for men, women, women, and children. And I pray that we're always ready for Christ to come and show up in a mighty way and save souls here and change lives. And I pray that we are a church that is even not just in this pulpit, but a church as a whole that is out there fishing for men and women and children for the glory of God and for the gospel. Next we see, number two, you need to be ready for Christ to charge. We're going to be in verses 4 through 7, but we'll start with 4 and 5. So you need to be ready for Christ to charge. Moving on to four. When he finished speaking, he, he, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down your nets. So after Christ has preached the very words of God to the crowd, and the crowd eventually starts to dissipate, he looks and he does something that seems very ridiculous at first glance. Jesus starts to meddle into an area that Simon Peter was an expert so Simon Peter, his brother Andrew, I mean, this is a family business. We're going to see James and John, who were, who were also partners with them. They were born to fish. This was their, their livelihood. This is what they did really well. And it was one thing for Jesus to teach them about theology and righteousness and things about God. Okay, you got that. You're a rabbi. You're the master. You're, you're the teacher. But for, for Peter to accept fishing advice from Jesus, who was a carpenter, uh, that, that was just stepping above the line. And so you can just... You can just see Peter, just the tension there as he answers, and he, he, he's respectful. He knows that Jesus is something big. He's, he's seen some things. He's heard some things. He knows that Jesus is, is more than just a normal rabbi somewhat, but he still kind of calls him that, your rabbi, your teacher, your master, as we see. But uh, he, and, and Peter just saw his mother-in-law healed by Jesus, so he, he knows there's some power there, but 
Still, like, I mean, a carpenter, you can't tell me how to fish. You're a carpenter. You know, what's going on there? And all fishermen knew that this, uh, if they fish on the Sea of Galilee, that daytime was a horrible time to fish with a dragnet. So, I mean, you're, you're, you're in a deeper water, and you're trying to drag, using a dragnet in the middle of the lake. I mean, they would come a lot more inland. That would have been a better place to fish. You Again, as we talked about before, you fish at night because that's when the fish come in to feed. And obviously, I mean, you, you got to think that Peter's wanting to look at Jesus and say, you know, the fishing here has really stunk it up. Like, we've been doing this all night. Like, why are we going to waste our time? They just cleaned these drag nets. We talked about how it had plant material and rocks. And I mean, could you imagine you just finished or you're almost finished cleaning what you, you know, you're already frustrated and you've cleaned these things and you're like, somebody asked you to go back out and throw them back out again. It's like, man, I just finished cleaning these things and I hadn't, I, we got nothing and I fish at the best time of day. I know fishing, Jesus, don't tell me to put my net down right now. Like, I know, do you all ever get like that in your life? Where, where, where Jesus calls you to do something that you know is not going to work. You're like, no, Jesus, no, no. I, I know I've disciplined my child that way and it doesn't work. But you just have the Holy Spirit's telling you, you need to do that. You, you need to have your kid do that right now. I've, I've tried that. I've tried this. I've tried everything. There's nothing that's going to work. Or, or it's at your work and, you know, your, your boss asks you to do something and you know you can't do it. You've tried to do that so many times. You know, Jesus, I, and then you're, you're just getting that thing like you're supposed to follow, but your boss is telling you, you're getting that thing, okay. But Jesus, you know I can't do that. I can't speak out in public. I can't prepare a presentation. I can't use PowerPoint. I, I, I'm not a computer literate. I can't do this. I can't do that. You know, whatever it is, and you just tell Jesus what you can and can't do, and you let him know. And Peter is fighting that. You can tell he's just fighting that in his heart right now, and you can kind of see by his little complaint when he starts off, Master, we've toiled all night and got nothing. Like, you can just see him being like, are you, but, but you also see his humility. And we see the humility finally when he, he responds with humility. And, and you can tell he's fighting it. But he says, but at your word, I will let down the nets. And you can see just that resolving. Saying, okay. And that, that's how we need to respond to Christ. Obviously not with the temper tantrum before uh, or, or with that. But the good thing about Christ is he, he understands our human frailty. He understands our struggle. He understands our lack of insight and understanding into what God is doing. He understands our concreteness. You know, we're like, we're like kids. You know, if you look at kids, and uh, small kids especially, and they don't have that abstract thinking, and, and, and you tell them something, and, like, they just see it black and white. Like, there's no gray. There's no black, white. You know, just like, well, I couldn't do this yesterday, so I can't do it today. Well, you told them they couldn't go outside and play yesterday because it was raining. Now it's sunny outside. They, they don't get the fact that it's a completely different environment. That's why they can do that today and couldn't do it yesterday. But that takes education. And God knows that we are the same way. We like to think we're a lot smarter than that. But, but we really are simple. And God is faithful and trustworthy. And he is merciful to us. There's a word here in verse 5 that I want us to kind of hone into. And, and if you're looking right here after Simon has put his thing, after Jesus has told him this, he starts off his little complaint with a word master, and that word master is a word for teacher, rabbi. It was used for many different people. I want you to kind of think about that uh, as we see. It's a term of respect for Christ, but it wasn't necessarily a a term that set Christ apart from the other rabbis and teachers, and we're going to see some some evolution of that word. I'm using that word in actually the correct way, not in the Darwinistic, awful way. Sometimes I hesitate to even use the word evolution or evolve because of that. Um, but we're going to see Peter 
grow in his understanding of who Christ is through this. And listen to John the Baptist, and, and you would think that Peter would have understood that Jesus was who he, who he was, uh, with John the Baptist claiming this in John three thirty one, He who comes from above is above all. Right, above all. Uh, he, he who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. And John the Baptist is speaking of Jesus Christ here. He is above all. He's above all of the earthly teachers that are out there. There's no one higher than Christ. And Simon Peter is about to see not just hear about this truth from John the Baptist and others, he's going to see it indeed right in front of him. So let's move on to verse 6 and 7. And when they had done this, that's when they put their nets out, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats, so they began to sink. So the seemingly ridiculous charge, fish in the middle of the day, fish in a place where drag nets shouldn't work, you know, fish at a time of day that's just awful, and you've already had horrible things. Now we, we see this miraculous catch. And, you know, we have to realize this is miraculous. Like, this is not just picking the right spot. This isn't Jesus. You know, you'll see pastors, uh, false teachers, I'll say, try to explain away every miracle that Jesus did by saying, well, there was probably just a school of fish going that, and he just saw them, and he did this. It's like, no, no, this is miraculous. This is way beyond the best catch. Imagine the best catch of fish you could ever have. You're going to see these guys, they've been fishing their entire lives, and this catch is so crazy that they're like, we've never seen anything like it. And, and we're going to see, it makes both the boats sink. I mean, how many fish does that take? So this is a true miracle that Jesus has just done. And there's so many fish caught up in the nets that, that Peter and, and probably Andrew and his other crew has to yell at the other boat, hey, get out of here, because we saw he just got in Simon Peter's boat. They're the ones out there. The other guys are still just hanging out. They're like, you've got to get out of here and help us. We're, gonna, we're sinking. We're going to drown. All of our nets are going to break. And, and, and if we're looking, it says the nets are beginning to break. And the Greek word used here is actually a term of being near the breaking point. We see that they don't completely break because they actually are able to bring these fish to shore despite their sinking ships, which is another miracle of Christ. They didn't just sink out there and stay, that they were actually able to get them. This is amazing. Uh, this is an amazing miracle as we see in verse 11 as they move forward. But... We see here that the charge from Christ comes at a cost, and you're like, well, what? I thought, you know, salvation's free. They, no, it isn't a work that you need to do or money you need to pay. Instead, it takes obedience and humility. Like, that is the cost to follow Christ. Uh, that, that is the cost that we must give for that. He commands us to obey his commands, and we must die to our will and live for his. Christ spells this out later in this gospel in Luke 9:23. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. We must deny ourselves. We must be willing to, to suffer for Christ and allow him to lead. We must follow him no matter where it is, no matter how ridiculous his charge. We must be willing to follow. Yet we know that following Christ will always result in blessing. Um, that's not a prosperity message. It will result in blessing. No, we aren't promised an endless supply of food or fish. We're not promised financial wealth or comfort, but we are promised miraculous deliverance from sin and death and eternal life with Jesus Christ in heaven through his death on the cross. My friends, I pray that we've all responded to that charge of Christ to follow him. I pray that we, as a believer, that we also respond to the charges that he continues to give to us the, the direction that he continues to, to give us, his commands that he continues to compel us to do. May we always go, no matter how dangerous or ridiculous 
or whether we've done it before, no matter how crazy the call appears, we know that he will sovereignly work out his plan according to his will and that we can trust him and continually follow him. So, number, so now we, we've, we've heard we, we need to be ready for Christ to come, for Christ to charge, and finally, you need to be ready for Christ to call. You need to be ready for Christ to call. Move on to verse 8. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. So Simon Peter responds in complete broken humility. He realizes that he has just doubted and severely underestimated Christ. He's now overwhelmed by seeing the glory of God in his life. He's seen this miraculous thing. He's a fisherman. He's been around fishing his whole life. He's heard stories. He's heard, you know, we always, we always talk about his guys, we, the biggest fish you've ever caught, and people talk about that, and it always keeps getting bigger and bigger, and everybody's like, well, I want a picture. I want, I want, I want the fish laying beside the centimeters or inch marker so I can, I can guarantee because you know it always keeps getting bigger. Well, so, so he's heard the craziest stories you could ever hear, the, the most amount of fish you, you could catch in one day, but he's just seen, it, it just went huge, hugely beyond anything he's ever heard, everything, anything he's ever seen, and he realizes this is God. Like, this is God doing something amazing, and so he, he realizes that this man is more than a carpenter. He may not be a fisherman, but he's more than a carpenter. He's more than even a fisherman. He is holy and powerful. And Peter humbles himself before Jesus and sees his own lack of holiness in the presence of the Holy One of God. And this is a common response in the Scriptures as we see when God's glory is revealed. See the prophet Isaiah, how he responds to the Lord when he calls him, Isaiah 6, 4 through 5. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe to me! For I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah said, I'm dead. I'm as a dead man. I have seen the glory of God. And so, so we can just imagine Peter and his experience here seeing the glory of God. And we see Ezekiel as well, Ezekiel 128. Like the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud on the day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness all around. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of God. And when I saw it, I fell on my face, and, and I heard the voice of one speaking. When man sees the glory of God, he cannot help but fall down in reverence. And that's what we see Peter do here. He falls, falls to the ground, falls at Jesus' knees. Note that Luke references Simon's name here uh, being Peter. Or, so, so we see Simon Peter. Uh, this is the first time in the Gospel of Luke that we see the name Peter show up. So we're seeing kind of the evolution of Peter's growth in Christ. So Simon is, is his original name. Peter or Cephas is his God-given name from Christ. And we're going to see as of, by the next chapter, in, in chapter 6, verse 14, we're going to see Peter is, refer, is his name throughout the Gospel as we see Luke understand that he has made that transition as a disciple. One other thing to note about verse 8 is the final word we see. What, what is that final word? I am a sinful man, oh Lord. You, what, what, what was it that we saw Simon Peter call Jesus in verse 5? Master. So master was the, the term for teacher, for rabbi. It was a term of endearment, a term of respect. But Lord is a completely different term here. And, 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 you know, they did use Lord every once in a while in a respectful way. Uh, masters sometimes with servants. 
but you didn't fall down on your knees or fall down on your face in front of somebody and say, oh Lord, unless it was God. And we see Peter, he may not fully understand the correct theology of Christ. He may not fully understand exactly who Christ is, but he understands that Christ is Lord, that something is different about this guy, that, that this is the chosen one of God. He may not understand the Trinity and all of its intricacies. He may not understand all the theology that he, he will learn as he moves forward. But we know that Peter is the first person in this gospel to address Jesus as the Lord. We're not told just how deeply he knows, but we know that he would gain more and more understanding of just, just who Christ is. But one thing that we do see is a right response to the glory of God. One must see that God is holy and that we are wicked, that we are sinful, and only then, by our humility and acknowledgement of who we are, can we truly be saved. And Peter recognizes that. We should always maintain this reverence of God even after we are saved, though. We should always realize how holy and great that God is. Not, not that we need to fear God, but we should be reverential with God because He is amazingly holy. One other thing we need to notice from Peter's response here his true repentance and following Jesus seeks the glory of God and not the glory of self. I'm going to say that again here. True repentance and following Jesus seeks the glory of God and not the glory of self. So Peter's response here could have been the following. Look at all of these fish. God wants me to be rich. He wants me to be wealthy. And how many pastors false teachers, again, I hate to use that, but it's not, they're not pastors, will we'll, we'll read this and say, look at what God wants for you. He wants you to have abundance of fish and money. Could you imagine the amount of money that they could sell those fish for? Enough money. How many fish does it take to sink a fishing boat? A lot. I mean, I can't imagine because fish aren't really that heavy. And I mean, you've got grown men in these fishing boats. How many fish does it take to, to weigh as much as a grown man? So think about the amount of fish and how much money that they could have made from this. Hey, most people would go out and fishing and only bring a few, uh, you know, at most after a, after a nice day of fishing, and they have enough to sink two boats. Jesus, so Peter could have said, Jesus has come to glorify me. He wants me to be happy. He wants me to be wealthy. He wants me to have everything that I could ever desire. Can you imagine the house that Peter could have had, the the car he could have driven, which would have been camel. Could have had the, you know, the, the, the nicest camel. You know, I mean, he, he could have had that camel decked out. I mean, maybe they had spinners that they put on the side of camels. I don't know what Peter could have had, but he could have had the life. You know, I mean, he could have been Joel Osteen in his nice, huge mansion. I mean, he could, and then he could have talked about God, because he's heard all these things. I mean, you know, and he's already, he's already been called the rock by, you know, that's just, I mean, that, that's a great church name. I've seen some of those out there, too. So, I mean, you know, he could have, he could have done, you know, he could have, could have been amazing, you know, his life could have been that. Jesus could have been his meal ticket. I mean, you know, he could have said, Jesus, you're going fishing with me tomorrow. <laughs> we're we're going to go do this again. Sound good? But was that how Peter responded? Was, what, what, could, what can God do for me? Look how great. No, he falls on his face, and he's like, you need to depart from me. He actually tells Jesus, you got to go because I'm going to die is what he's thinking. Just like Isaiah I'm a man of unclean lips, and I'll live among, among an unclean people. I am not worthy to even be in your presence. And we should, we should take note of this genuine repentance. This is a response of genuine repentance. So true repentance and following Jesus seeks the glory of God and not the glory of self. If we, are, if we really want to be truly saved, 
our glory is not for ourselves. The glory is for God, and it is all about how great that he is. Let's move on to verses 9 and 10. For he and all who were with him, with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. Next we are introduced to the, to the response of the crew around, even the other boat. So two such men are called by Christ to be disciples as well here, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who become a, an, an inner part, a part of the inner circle of Jesus' disciples. These three men would see amazing things. Uh, Andrew is not mentioned here in this scene, but the plural use of crew does lend to him likely being there and maybe even being called. Uh, yet Luke focuses in on these three disciples who make up the inner circle. The, these three men would actually see Jesus transfigured in Mark 9, 2 through 3, where the glory of Christ comes to earth and they see him just miraculous, just dazzling in appearance. The raising of Jairus' daughter in Luke 8, 49 through 56 is only seen by these three men. Uh, we see these three men praying in the Garden of Gethsemane right before Jesus is taken to be crucified. He's arrested. So what does Christ call for these men in verse 10? From now on, they will be catching men. So these men will no longer catch fish that would result in death. Instead, they will catch people in order to bring them life. What a, what a turn of event for their lives. They've spent their whole life catching fish that would end up dead and given to people to be sold. Now they're going to catch dead men and women, and they're going to bring life. How, how amazing is this call for them? And in verse 11, we see the response. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. These men understood Christ's call in verse 10 as a complete surrender. At a moment when their career had just hit the highest point it ever could. They had the best catch of fish anyone has ever had in the history of fishing, and probably even to this day. At a moment when the amount of money that could have been raised for them, they could have had the high life their children, their children's children, and maybe even generations after that, could have been affluent for generations. It's at that moment that they leave everything and go into full-time discipleship ministry with Christ. The disciples go all in. They abandon all their possessions, their, their boats, their livelihood, and, and even their families. James and John, sons of Zebedee, who was running, really running that, and they leave him hanging and say, okay, we got other guys, they'll, they'll take over. They abandon their hopes and dreams of their futures uh, that they had, what they, what they thought for their families, what they wanted to do for their lives, and they give their lives entirely and completely to Christ. This is the response of a true believer, my friends. We, as believers in Christ, should be willing to give up everything for Him. We should be, be willing to do whatever He commands us to do. No, that doesn't earn us salvation by what we do or we don't do. But if our hearts are fully bent on serving Christ, then there is nothing higher. When we realize how awful that we were, when we realize how we were not worthy of anything, that we were, we were destined for destruction, destined for hell, and that Christ reached into the pit and pulled us out. We owe him everything. And we should live our lives in that type of a, of a uh, posture. We should live our lives with that type of thankfulness if we truly understand what we've been saved from and who he is. 
No matter what is charged and call for our lives, we must go all in. There's no room in the Christian life for nominal Christians. Uh, nominal Christian is, is really an oxymoron. Because we who are Christians are holy, set apart. We're chosen, dearly beloved. And we need to follow Christ and see that he is greater than any worldly accolade or goal, any comfort. And as true believers, may we do so in spirit and truth. So today's message has been an amazing account about a crazy miracle that Christ did with these fish. Jesus Christ has come, he has charged, and he has called us, we've seen so far. But my friends, this truth is still just as true today. He has come to charge and call us as well. And the first charge is to follow him in faith. And if you haven't put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I pray that you do that today. He is the one who came and lived a sinless life, fully God, fully man, died on the cross for our sins some 2,000 years ago, raised from the dead, and now is at the right hand of the Father. And you won't hear any other calls from Christ, any other charges from Christ, unless you have fully given your life to Christ. I pray that you test your heart that you have done so. If you are, we know in Ephesians 2.10 that he has created good works for you to walk in them. Not for your own glory, but for his. He has things for you to do. He has jobs for you to do. He has places for you to go. He has people for you to minister to. And he, he's created all of those. You just need to walk in them. And by, and by walking in them, we walk in obedience, not because we can do anything, because he's done it all for us. He's prepared the gospel conversations. When you go to share the gospel with somebody, he has prepared their hearts. He's prepared where you're going to be at that time through his sovereignty. How amazing is that? So my charge for you today it's first off to make sure that you've accepted that free gift of salvation. But I also pray for us who are believers, that he's not done with us once he has saved us. That that is only when it really truly begins, and that's when the charges start to get a little harder. You know, it's one thing to give up, you know, sin for the sinless. And that, it's one thing to give up death for life. I mean, it's pretty, pretty easy for me to think about hell and heaven and say, I, I would like to go to heaven. Yeah, I'll, I'll take heaven. You know, that, that sounds great. It, it, it's, it's pretty easy for me to do that. And, and there are some difficulties with giving your life to Christ, knowing the cost, as we've talked about before. But as we are a believer, he has so much more for us to do, so, so much more he wants to do in us at that point. And so I want us to take a few moments as we close to consider what he might be calling and charging each of us to do, to, to do today. Is he charging you to leave something behind, like these men here? Maybe it's not even sinful, but he called them to leave behind fishing. They were to follow him in full-time ministry, and they had to leave that behind. Uh, maybe it is sinful, and you need to leave something in your life behind and get rid of it because it is hindering your relationship with Christ. Is he encouraging you to step up in Christian leadership in your family or at the workplace or in the church? Is he calling you to teach or preach? Uh, is he calling you to develop into a church planner? We're going to send you out in a few years. Is he calling you to be a pastor? Is he calling you to serve internationally as a missionary? Maybe your calling might not seem that big to you. You're like, well, you know, it's just a smaller calling. You know, Maybe it's a, a calling to serve behind the scenes in ministry. Jesus sees all of that, and he sees every calling is just as big as the other. Maybe he's calling you to be a stay-at-home mom where nobody sees how hard you work. All that's behind the scenes as you disciple your children. Is he calling you something I haven't even mentioned? There's just something that you know back in the back of your brain, back of your head. Yeah, I've been, I've been feeling that push to do this. I know, I'm supposed to, but I don't want to. Uh, I don't think I can. You know, whatever, whatever that is, I, I'm, I'm not prepared for it, you know. 
but he's revealing something in your heart that he, he has prepared for you to do. My friends, may we end this service with just a quiet meditation. I'm going to have Adam play for a little bit. And I want us to individually, even corporately, think about our church as we close. I want us to open up our hearts and minds to be willing to follow whatever Christ commands. And as it says up here, be willing to leave whatever you need to leave behind in order to go forward wherever he calls you to go. Be willing to leave whatever you need to leave behind in order to go forward wherever he calls you to go. That's really tough. You know, com- it's comfortable to know what we, what we do already, what, what we, uh, how our lives are already set up. And, and sometimes leaving something behind to move forward hurts a lot. Uh, sometimes it's, it's leaving family to go internationally. Sometimes it's leaving a job to, to, to go out on a limb and, and serve Christ in a different way. Sometimes it's leaving behind a bad relationship that you need to leave behind in order to move forward into what God's got for you. Sometimes it's leaving behind sin. And that sin, it just, it's comforting to you. you. You know it's bad, you know it's wrong, but you need to leave it behind so that God can use you in a mighty way. Whatever that is, I pray that God reveals it to you as we spend time in prayer and reflection and that you're willing to leave that behind and that you lay it at the foot of his cross and that you go forward and follow his obedient or in, in obedient to his call. Spend some time in prayer.